Welcome to the very first episode of the Engineering Side of Data. I'm your host, Bob Hafner. I have a special guest here tonight. We're going to be talking about cloud data warehouses. His name is Michael Meyer. Very happy to have him on. He was at the top of the list of guests that I wanted to get on when I started thinking about doing this podcast. Thanks for coming on, Mike. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Bob. So uh, my background has been... Um, you know, kind of in the technology space for almost 35 years now, which is hard to believe. Um, you know, a good 25 years of that has all been data related. So, um, and I really, really enjoy working in this space. I'd, I would say over the last 10 years, my focus has really been more on the analytics side than the application side. So it's been fun seeing how the architectures and different things have rapidly evolved in the last 10 years. Nice. That's great. Thanks for the introduction there. Uh, let's kick things right off with a very loaded and broad question. Why are cloud data warehouses so dang popular? Well, you know, for me, I guess what, what, what where my attention grabbed to this whole space was the fact that, you know, if you're a relatively um, small team um, and full of data engineers, do you want to be focusing on trying to, uh, you know, with some of the things like Hadoop, trying to keep a cluster up and trying to run the hardware, or do you want to focus on the data? Yeah, the operational nightmare of some of these tools that are that are popular nowadays, or maybe they were popular a couple, three, five years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And so, so when when started to see some of these come out, it was like, well, wow, this is really attractive because. Now, my team, we can really focus on uh, delivering value to the business and getting that quicker through uh, being able to use the cloud resources for that. So that was one of the first attractors for for me, to be honest. And then the you know the the second thing was, as I started to look at it, it was really about performance and being able to scale and not have to and pay for what you're actually using, not having to go out and acquire a bunch of hardware or wait. You know, those those instances where uh, back in the day when you had to wait for more yeah. servers to come in or, hey, I need to move to that bigger server of Oracle or whatever, you know, to get Oracle running. And those days, you know, you just would be frustrated because it puts you on kind of on hold and you're you're basically kind of stuck. Where today with a lot of these cloud warehouses yeah. being elastic, I can get that processing power on demand. And then when I'm done, I simply just let it, you know, go back to its normal state. And so it's I get I, you know, I'm charged for the usage. I'm not charged for having a, a you know, a whole huge um, data center full of hardware that I may or may not use all the time. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, when you have to, when they're waiting for weeks, maybe months for that new appliance or new install for the on-prem, uh, yeah, that's a little bit of a momentum killer. And uh, yeah, not a lot of productivity going on there. And I've heard that a lot with the elasticity of things like cloud data warehouses. That is a big game changer, the ability to scale up and scale down as needed. So I can imagine that was an important factor in what you were thinking. Yeah, it definitely was. And, you know, some, some of the things is that the, you know, around the early 2010 timeframe and things when uh, appliances were hot, um, I have to admit, I was, I was on that bandwagon because I thought it was, I, the performance was great. Um, it was great until you kind of reached that plateau or you kind of maxed out that level that you're at. And so your next option was is to double it in size or add another quarter size to these appliances. Yeah, and so it was scale a scale up. Yeah, yeah, and it was a huge investment, right? And so you're going like, well, there's got to there's just got to be something better, you know. And at the time, like I said, it, it was great. And then the other concept with these appliances were we know what how to balance out the machine. We know how to balance out compute to storage. 
hey, that's great until it's not great, right? So yeah. I think some of the problems with that is is every organization, every workload is different. So you can get to a point where you can be out of balance in terms of compute and storage, where if you look at some of the new new offerings in the cloud, they separate those, right? And it makes its world of difference so that you can not only isolate workloads, but you can also control, you know, how much processor you're putting to it. And you don't have to worry about, oh, um, the thing you have to worry about is your pocketbook. But, you know, yeah. other than that, you know, when you're running <laughs> yeah. something big, but you don't have to worry about what am I going to do? Am I going to max out this box at some point in time and then start to have uh, unhappy customers? Because all of a sudden, the thing that was so running so fast is now not running as fast for them. Yeah, that's a good thing. I really didn't think about that too much, but having... Your appliance that you buy, that you save up all your pennies for, is probably good day one, right? Mm -hmm. But going beyond that, it gets a little dicey. And you try to forecast what my workloads look like, what my access patterns are going to look like. But reality, you buy that thing, you're locked in. And that's a big purchase, too. Isn't something that, okay, let's go ahead and change our minds and buy something bigger or something smaller or whatever. Yeah, that's. I can see that being very problematic. Yeah, and then disaster recovery is a whole nother game, right? So now you're having to say, wow, every time I'm making a huge investment in my data center, also I'm in my DR site too. So yeah, there's a, you know, a lot of things that, like I say, at the time they were great, and the thing that was great about them is what you saw, at least what I saw, was um, customers really wanting to use and the users really running more queries because they could get the information back faster. So their their hunger for data was there, and they wanted to do more. But then as you grow that user base out to, to where you max out, that's where, you know, it became an issue. So now we're on the cloud. We take the, you know, the different errors where we can start to say, hey, I can, I can actually give you the, the processing power you need as long as the whole organization or maybe your department, however you're doing chargebacks, is, is willing to let you go ahead and, and run those. So that in itself is just, to me, is just uh, such a great way to be able to do that. So I don't have to worry necessarily, you know, about ever hitting that, proverbial you know ceiling and then having that feeling of disparity trying to say how fast can i make this better for everybody yeah absolutely and you mentioned cost pricing uh, in that conversation how do you i mean from a traditional background of estimating cost things like that has it been a challenge to budget for a cloud data warehouse when it, when it is pay as you go or pay as you use yeah, so it is a little bit, you know, at first everybody is a little apprehensive saying, well, can I run this query? Can I do this? Well, abs- you know, absolutely. Use the system. That's what it's there for. Um, and then you, as, you, as time goes on, you can start to gauge. We, we basically have, you know, came up with um, ways of breaking up workloads and start to monitor those very closely so we can kind of get an idea. And then um, the biggest thing with that for me is I have my own Power BI dashboard that I watch uh, usage so I can kind of start to forecast and project. That makes sense. A little yeah. bit more as things are going on. So um, I think the biggest thing in which I talked to some other companies too is they were um, surprisingly shocked at actually how, you know, for as much workload as they were thrown at it, what it was costing. They weren't, they weren't surprised or sticker shocked by any means. So maybe they'll become that point in time where we get a sticker shock, but so far it's been really good experience. Um, being able to run lots of stuff, being able to get, you know, really – good response times and and yet really you know not uh, notice like a, a huge uptick good, yet. yeah so but you know time is coming i'm sure as we put more workload on it but you know it's all about total co- cost of ownership right yep, so you think of, you know yep. you think about the things too i i think about uh every time 
you know, you work with uh, the latest version of whether it's Oracle SQL Server, and you're going throughout your whole organization having to do upgrades. You're going like, wow, this is this is time consuming. Um, there's a lot of hours involved in that. Where, you know, if I'm in the cloud, I'm getting yes, I'm getting software updates whether I want them or not, but I am getting them, and I have a I have a consistent, um, you know, flow that I'm not worried about having to deal with yeah. that at night. You know, yeah, and, very true. Yeah, I can imagine that. A lot of focus is put on the bill that you get from your provider, your, whether that's your, you know, your cloud provider or your data warehouse provider. But when you look at those, when you add in those operational costs, the cost of maintaining those things, it's certainly not one to overlook, that's for sure. Yeah, yep. the, yeah. there's just so many, to me, positive um, impacts of going to the cloud. You know, you talk about um, things like data redundancy, too, and what you're getting, you know, automatically. You're not... You know, most organizations, especially I'm going to go back to the medium and small, you're going to struggle for your DR plans and you might have backups and stuff, but to having, you know, the multiple copies of your data and having that done for you makes, you know, yeah. a huge difference too. So there's, there's that whole operational side that I think most people, if they go like, well, yeah, we're having to pay, you know, we're paying as we're going, but yeah, but think about all the resources if you were running this yourself that you'd have to had to have on staff and you know that that human factor that human you know the the personnel cost is so much more than when you start to add up versus that and you know when you talk about companies that have been doing this um and they're doing it at scale right so it's not like hey they just threw a couple servers up no they're just doing a couple more now these guys are at massive scale so they know what they're doing they know their processes in and out and they have to be highly repeatable so you can trust you know, the rollouts of their, their code and other thing that's going on. So I think that that's to me is, is critical. It's like, you know, if you wanted to start up Mike and Bob's uh, own yeah. data center here, uh, we <laughs> would be, point. yeah, it would be like, Oh no, why would I even want to even think about doing that when I have the cloud, you know, vendors that we have today. So um, that's, that's, that's kind of my take on it so yeah, far. Absolutely. I can imagine. So, yep. So I, it sounds like the, the cost certainly hasn't been a, a, a big deterrent or shocker. It's you're adding more workloads on as you, mm-hmm. as you get them. Um, do you foresee a change in how you uh, potentially do things in terms of you know, how you um, uh, do workloads? Do you do, okay, well, we're, we're going to do more ETL and less ELT, things like that, or anything different to, kind of, I guess, kind of take advantage of the pricing uh, and how it's done, or just to make sure you're not going to get over, over, overbuild or anything like that. Yeah, you know, you do have to kind of plan for some of the things, right? So, like the cloud warehouse run is is a it's a column or a database. It's not a you know it's not a relational row row by row database. So um, when you go to work with it, you got to think about I need to do batches as much as I can as possible or micro batches in order to get the efficiencies out of it because every time I do a single row insert or row update, it takes that about as much time as if I was doing, you know, several thousand rows at a time. Um, so there is some planning with that gotcha. uh, in order to get um, the efficiencies out of those loads. So there's a little bit to, to plan on that. Um, you know, and then I would say one of the things um, just in general um, nowadays that you're looking for um, and I don't know that it's necessarily tied to the cloud, but as you're, as you're trying to move things and trying to do more is how much can you automate, right? Where's, where's those automation tools that can kind of give you that advantage of saying, hey, let me, let me define things and let me build out the models for these, but let me find something that will generate that tedious hand, hand coding that I really don't need to do because the pattern can you know, sur- surface and I can have something generated myself. And so yeah. we're, we're doing a lot of that planning too and trying to you know, look at what you can do from automation. 
And um, so then we'll That's then you know as, as things get going, and then you can start to um, kind of figure out to them from how your how your workloads are going to look. But um, yeah, gotcha. the, that the, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, the ETL jobs of today are going to look a lot different, at least for, in my eyes, as as we move into more of a you know that ELT and how things are going to look. So um, kind of moving yeah. forward. So I, it's it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun journey. We're just early into it, but it's definitely going to be a fun journey. All right. Very good. So kind of going back to, I guess, a little bit of on-prem versus cloud. Uh, it's my impression of that data warehouses were, were pretty popular, maybe 80s, 90s. But in the 2000s, maybe they, their popularity uh, slipped a little bit. And in comes things like Hadoop. The promise of just load all your data, forget about the data modeling aspect of it. At least that was my impression. That's what I heard from a lot of salespeople anyway. Uh, you know who you are. <laughs> uh, <laughs> do, you, do you, well, one, do you agree with that assessment? And two, do you think uh, cloud data warehouses have kind of breathed new life into data warehouses as a whole? You know, so when you, when you look at the data lake stuff, I think um, it was a good concept. Get, get your data all kind of brought together. Um, the question becomes around it is what are you doing in terms of governance? Are you cataloging this information so people can find it? Um, if you're just throwing it out there to have it out there, that can become an issue over time. So, you know, like you said, the the sales job would say, yeah, just bring it here and it's all going to work together. Yeah. Um, no, that's probably yeah. not the truth, right? Because you still today, you have to organize your data. You have to make sure it's of a high quality, right? You're still having to go through the processes to do that cleansing and to do, to do those things. And then ultimately, in order to consume it, you need it in a model, whether, you know, you're a star schema or whatever to really get the, you know, the, the reporting benefits out of or whatever style that you use. So there are, to me, there's still value in being able to consume data out of a data lake. I think a lot of it is, is early ability to just look at it and see if it has the value that you want. Kind of discovery phase of sorts, right? Exactly. So be able to run those uh, profilers against it. Start to look at it. Start yourself to, to look at it and say, hey, is this something that I think is valuable for the organization and bring it forward? Or if this is just something I'm going to query like once in a blue moon, I might leave it as a data lake style. So a lot of your, a lot of your cloud warehouses are also supporting that notion of still being able to do data lakes type stuff through like external tables, you know, the concept of having yeah. an external table. So... I think there's a place for it, but I don't think it's the complete solution. I think that's where, over time, things have missed the boat, that it's just not, can't be the complete solution. Yeah. No, that makes sense, and I would agree with that. Yeah, I think everything you listed um, prior to this in terms of the elasticity, um, the power, the durability of the solution as a whole, and now this idea that a lot of the cloud data warehouse providers have said, hey, listen, you can have your star schemas, but you can also, we'll be able to let you write queries that, We'll pull from this or pull from external stores like block stores like Azure Blob or S3 or things like that, right? Yeah, definitely. And that seems to be very appealing to a lot of folks. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And then if you start to think about working with uh, semi-structured data, you know, you think about, I got these, uh, you know, JSON documents and I'm, I'm going through them and there may be, you know, X attributes that I want today. So I pull them in. Well, as long as I still have that, you know, on that external storage, there's nothing that says I can't go back and get it. So I... Uh, it gives you a little more flexibility because, you know, it's in the back end. I always remember back working on other solutions where it would, we'd go back and forth. 
replicate all the data, replicate only what you need, you know, and it's always that catch 22 where, you know, today, here's the other thing about the cloud storage is cheap, right? Storage is cheap. So from that perspective, saving some of these things around and, and uh, having them available to go back later and pull more nuggets out of that data is definitely, is definitely uh, worth having and keeping it around, you know, in blob storage or like you said, an S3 bucket. So I think that's another critical element to this is too, is the fact that, you know, how many years in my, my career we had to micromanage the disk space and we had to be very careful about, well, how many IOPS am I going to get out of this, this disk drive device in order to try to keep performance at a decent level? Oh, now on this the storage area network on the SAN, what can I do to make it as performant as I can? You know, all of those things you think about, all of those, most of those pain points have been removed with a lot of the cloud technology and, uh, so that to me has been has been a blessing to be able to not worry about this. I mean, I remember days sitting with our platform engineers and we're figuring out how many IOPS is it going to take to drive to be able to get this process. What if we spread the you know the drives out even further? Can we can we get the throughput that we need? And it just became just yeah. one of those mind numbing exercises to try to figure out. So you know, so yeah. again, it goes back to me as a data engineer. I want to focus on the data and getting the value out of that as information. I don't want to have to sit here and think about tuning hard drives, tuning memory, and all that stuff in order to make it happen. Yeah, that makes sense. Mike, I, sometimes I hear uh, some of the vendors talking about how it's important to be cloud native, built from scratch. I know some of the cloud uh, data warehouses are and some aren't. How important that is to you, you think? You know, so over the years, one of the things I really studied was all the different architectures. And I've worked, you know, in 25 years, I've seen a lot of different things come and go from, you know, shared to shared nothing in all these different ones. And as you embrace a new way of doing things, and especially like the cloud, I think it was very important to start from the ground back up. Because over the last 30 years, everybody's learned so much about what it takes with the, with working with data. But if you hold on to the old premise of just still doing the same thing continually and trying just to throw hardware at it, it's still not going to be the experience that you're looking for. And I know a couple of the vendors, you know, as they move to the cloud, yeah, they got a quick solution. You know, they were able to do things and, uh, and it could be fine. You might be fine. But if you're looking for, to me, the, the best of the best, they're, they're both from ground up. Yeah, to take true advantage of what the cloud has to mm-hmm. offer. A lot of times you need a from scratch, something that's built for the cloud. You know, that, that makes sense. I agree with that. And there's times where things, you know, over the years have kind of, uh, as they were built from scratch, kind of, I don't think, can, can fail. Um, I don't remember if you go back to your days of the object databases. Oh, remember? yeah. Yeah, you know, and it was going to be the greatest new thing, and it didn't happen to turn out that way. But when you invest um, a lot of time in looking at the problem space and saying, there is a better way. I, I think that's where, to me, the, you know, the, the creativity, the engineering that's come out in some of these is just phenomenal. And that's really what's taken us to the, to the next you know, couple decades of what can happen with data. Nice. So what about security? Right? I imagine that there were some hoops that you had to jump through, some things you had to prove to some of your folks, both within, on your team and outside of your team and your organization. How did you address those? Yeah, so, you know, one of the things I was just pleasantly surprised about all the layers of protection that go on nowadays and kind of get into a few of those. Uh, but right away in the organization that I'm with, we we partnered with our security um, folks, with our security team. 
and they have a whole list of requirements and audits that they and checks that they go through and we walk through all those and so you know one of the things that always uh blows me away is is thinking about just simple things like nowadays everybody says well the data needs to be encrypted which column should i encrypt in this which tables and it's like why don't we just do it by default, right? You know, yeah. so a lot of places have done that with different offerings over the years, but there's still many of us that that was the normal mode. Which one, sh- which column should I encrypt? So, you know, a lot of the cloud, how- I'm going to go to Snowflake because I know Snowflake the best. That's kind of what Absolutely. I've been working with. So, you know, by default, everything's encrypted and there's multiple layers of that encryption to, to help uh, protect the data. You know, the second layer, you know, you start to worry about too, well, okay, my data coming in and out. Um, you know, going across the network, is it still encrypted? And again, having it across the wire being encrypted is definitely important nice. too. So data at rest, you're covered, data in flight, you have a solution for that as well. Exactly. And so those are the things, you know, over the years that um, probably nowadays, a lot of people are starting to just say, well, that's second nature. It's kind of, but it, back, in, you know, not so long ago, 10 years ago, that was not the case, you know. And so you had to worry about these things a little bit more. Um, the other thing I think was really important is things like, um, when you're in the cloud, you need to be able to say, well, I only want certain IP addresses accessing this information, you know, being able to do those white listings and, you know, blacklists of so that you're just not willy nilly opening up your, your data to the world. You're making sure that you know exactly where that traffic's coming from. And then having uh, the ability to audit that, right? Easily audit that you're seeing only what you expect to be coming through or trying to even connect, Right um is what's 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 there um so that, i think that those are critical in taking it a step further then it really becomes even more important today with a pii and gdpr and all these different things that are going on um being able to create policies on your data so that people are only getting access to the data that they should be getting access to and making it easy to set those policies up and implementing them inside yeah. that warehouse. Versus- that really is key, isn't it? Making it easy, right? It's easy to establish a very complex security model, but if you can't execute it easily and quickly and painlessly for your team, it's it's a tough haul for sure. Yeah, because it can consume some, you know a, a team's whole time if it's not implemented correctly. And you know, um, I also think back in the days when first approaching some of this, you're coming up with all these different techniques and you're coming up, well, now, I, you know, hey, I got to put a view over top of this data and I'm going to set up some logic in this view to be able to do masking and that. Or if, if it's policy-based and just implement it in the engine itself, it makes such a huge difference. So, you know, there's a lot of things from security um, and I just think that that's so, so important. And uh, um, that has that was really a big factor uh, for me and looking at cloud data warehouses is was how, how rich was that security? Makes sense. Let's talk about tool integration, things like Tableau, Power BI, and even things like data robot. How has that been? It's been really interesting. It's been really good. So um, I'm a Power BI guy. So um, been, been been that way for several years. And, you know, a lot of times working with your data on-prem, they had this notion of having to hook up a gateway and having that be your security point, which was not a bad concept, didn't have any problems with it. But now, you know, looking at like um, what Snowflake and Power BI does is a much tighter, richer um, integration because you're basically doing a handshake between the two platforms, um, you know, from your tenant, um, your Power BI tenant to your, really to your Snowflake tenant and saying, yes, you two are allowed to talk together. And then I don't have to worry about, all these extra, you know, facilities in order to to make it secure. Um, I've seen it there. I've seen it in, you know, um, policies, whether it's 
to work with your, you know, your uh, S3 storage or, you know, your Azure Blob storage, setting that, that, that style of integration up. And I think that's very powerful. I think that was done the right way. I've worked with some other software tools that are still having to do the token based and passing a token around and doing all these things. And, um, geez, oops, my token expired now. I'm not connecting yeah. any longer. And, you know, all those fun things. So that the tight integrations um, that we're, um, we're seeing there, I think, is really, has been, has been nice and has been really pretty straightforward to set up. Nice. Very cool. All right. What about data? You mentioned Snowflake. That's, that's who you guys have selected and started working with. One of the interesting features that I've seen come out of Snowflake is this idea of data sharing. Although it seems very interesting, I don't know. I don't know if I um, buy into the promise of it. Right? I could see if you're a data broker or a data provider, mm-hmm. it would be a great way to have your data in front of somebody. Right? The ability for for Michael to be able to pull this information in easily, it's right there, right in front mm-hmm. of them. I could see my sales going through the roof. But if I'm a traditional corporation um, that's not in the business selling data, I'm selling widgets or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is that a big benefit? What do you see from that? Yeah, there's just there's a couple different ways of looking at it. So, you know, as a producer, like you said, you're thinking that I'm not really selling my data. I think of a, a lot of companies I was working um, in the leasing industry and software. And a lot of times our customers would say, we really need to be able to share this data with our vendors. It's only their data. But then we need to be able to show them what we're doing with their product lines. And so if you think about that, I can set up a share inside of um, Snowflake that's only for their data, and they can come in, whether they have, this is the other nice thing, whether they have a Snowflake account or there's also what they call reader accounts that can be established for them, without ever having to download a file, upload it back to their systems, I can just start querying and using the data. So so if you think about it in terms of if I'm running a, um, a vendor program and I have several different vendors, Boy, this is one way to keep them happy, right? Easy access to the data that they need to help see what's going on. Um, in terms of a consumer, so that's kind of the producer side. So I see that as any of your partners, you know, that you, even if you're not selling, you may yeah. be working with your partners, whether it's your marketing partner, whether it's your, yeah. you know, parts partner or whatever, you yeah. know, that you're that's, a, that's an excellent point. And I, and I bet that you just having your platform on the cloud makes that sharing so much easier, right? If you're trying to share data, and that data resides within your four walls, that would be certainly challenging. It's like, how many CSVs would you like? Do you have an FTP server? Yeah. Or can I mail a bunch of disks to you? That Things like that. Oh, so. yeah. You think about all the different versions and varieties of secure FTP you've tried to manage over the years to do those kind of things. Yeah. And as a consumer, you know, the other thing is, is um, you know, there's going to be pu- always going to be s- some public data sets, you know, weather data sets I always go back to is my favorite from like a lot of public ones out there. But as you work with vendors that you're going with, so like I can say again, working with third parties where we're pulling it off a of secured FTP, we're getting it down and then we're having to do things to it. Um, instead, I can have it shared to me and it looks like just another database inside of my own footprint and start querying it and joining it to my own data. Um the agility play in that and the, the amount of time saved is just tremendous. And that to me is the the key to all of this. So I think that's really the key play to this. Okay. And yeah. so, um, yeah, looking forward to um, doing more with it. We're actually, you know, you know, I've, I've just kind of looked at the mechanisms and stuff and I think it's, it's set up really well. So I think it's key. I think the the world is going to, if you can, again, we talk about making things easy. If you can make it easy and straightforward for somebody, 
that's a huge plus. And I, that da- the data sharing stuff has definitely come a long way. Excellent. Yeah, that's some good stuff uh, to think about there for sure. All right, let's wrap up with a, a final question. So obviously cloud data warehouses, they've been a bit of a game changer, right? Um, what features are we going to be seeing in the coming years coming out of the cloud data warehouse space? Yeah, so, you know, it, I was, I, we were talking about this, the, you know, a little bit offline. And then one of the things I saw in the day of the appliances is right when data science was really getting rolling and, and people were using a lot of R at the time. And, um, you know, it was like, hey, I'm running my R on this server and I'm running, but my data's on this other server. And I have to make these round trips to be able to do things and it slows me down. So at that point in time, NetTease actually got R to be running on its processors internally and talk about a game at that time, a game changer because it was so fast. You could start doing scoring models and doing yeah. things and it was so quick. So I think you're going to see that in your cloud warehouses. They're going to become tighter um, with all of those integrations to machine learning and things like that. Um, so eliminate that data movement, right? Your, your performance is going to always be so much better if you can eliminate moving data between things. The second thing I think is we're going to continue to see, uh, you know, more from that unstructured data. You're going to see, start seeing more in terms of, um, you know, working with images, working with today, which a lot of places already do, but working with those kind of things to incorporate into your machine learning that's going to really work with, with these cloud warehouses. And, um, you know, the analytics space is just blowing up with all the, the cloud just offers such a huge um, benefit from not only traditional analytics, but near real-time analytics. And, you know, one of the things that's, that I think is cool, and I've really been watching this closely, is, you know, um, your natural language processing. So as a user, I can ask a question about my data, and it's going to return the results back to me. I don't have to write a query. And if you think about it, having that all that again, the cloud provides all that extra processing power. And the vendors that are out there today in that, that kind of um, space they're they're working very rapidly with with those uh, with the cloud data warehouse providers and coming up with great solutions. So, um, you know, you you put that together with a little virtual reality, and you know, the old days of Iron Man and Jarvis are going to be upon us here soon. <laughs> I like the sound of that. All right, hey, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about these uh, these innovations in cloud data warehousing. Uh, it's been a great episode uh, for the folks listening. Make sure you subscribe. And uh, be on the lookout for some new episodes coming.